<laughs> well, let's pray and we'll dive into today's sermon. Father, we just thank you so much this morning. Thank you that we have these microphones set up so that the church can also be a voice and not just a preacher. And as we hear from multiple different voices this morning, from our worship team this morning, great is your faithfulness. And we thank you that we have a reason to celebrate. We got a reason to be grateful and to, to truly thank you for being a faithful and a good God to us. Regardless of what's happening in our world, we know that that's simply a, a plot and a ploy of the enemy. He has not won. He has been defeated. And we will see your victory. Thank you for using us. And now as we open up your word and hear from heaven this morning, we pray that you would be with us as we not only share words that you have put on my heart, but God, that every heart here in this room would receive from you. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, before the basketball days with my son, he was actually a hockey player. And in California, nonetheless, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of ice in California, but uh, he did roller hockey for a while. And let me tell you, I'm grateful for basketball. All he has to bring is a uniform and a ball before. He was dressed from head to foot and all clunky and so forth. And it did not smell very pretty in the car on the way home, let me tell you that much. But there, he was on his team. I believe they were called the Roller Sharks back in the day. And they were completely undefeated. They were supposed to win the championship. They didn't win the championship, but they had an amazing playoff game. And this was one of those games when your kid is just on fire like scoring everything, doing everything right, making incredible shots, diving for things. And there was this one shot that he made. He's, he's got a breakaway and he's going down and he hits this puck. It goes and it hits the goalie dead center in his chest pad. The puck drops and he full on stretches, stretches out his hockey stick and taps the ball in for the final goal. And everybody was going crazy. But not only were we so excited that they were winning and they did a great job in the playoffs, we were more excited, and if you have kids in sports, you'll understand this, we were more excited that he actually did what we told him to do, and that was follow through on your shots. The worst thing you can do, basketball, hockey, it doesn't matter, is to take the shot and just stand there and watch it. Because if you miss, somebody's going to capitalize on that, and they're going to get that and run away with it. So most of the points are scored on the rebound. And that's why when you go and you shoot or you take that shot, you want to go right up to it because in case you miss, you can get the rebound. And most of the points are scored on the rebound. And I believe that the same thing stands with us as believers, that the worst thing we can do, one of the saddest things we can do as spirit-filled believers is to take an opportunity to take a risk for God and then just to stand back and not follow through and stop short. Maybe we had a dream and we put a little bit of effort, but we didn't go all the way that we could have with God. Maybe there was something that he put on our hearts that we had faith for and that we believed for, but for some reason fear crept into our hearts. Or maybe doubt got the best of us and we stopped short. We took the shot. We, we thought we were being fully obedient, but there was so much more. And if we simply refuse not to give up and to stop short, we can see God do some incredible things. I mean, we, we declared his faithfulness all morning. I mean, how many of us here have ever lost a job? And let me tell you, was that the end of the story? Nope. Because when we serve the creator of the universe, the end of the story is not the end of the story. We serve a resurrected power God, and the end of the story is not the end of the story. The end of the story is when he calls us home, and then it's fully the end of the story. But I can't tell you in 20 years of ministry how many times I've seen where we thought it was the end, it just turned around and completely revamped it. 
I've seen multiple families get divorced and actually saw them get remarried because God is a God of restoration. I've seen diagnosis of people that, that said this thing is going to end in, in complete death, and they were completely healed from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. I've seen a friend of mine, 93-year-old pastor, 93 years old, served like 70 years in ministry, and at 93, he says, where are all the hymns in the church? There's no more hymns anymore. We, we sing hymns, but he says, there's no more hymns, and I'm going to start a ministry to use the power of hymns for those who still love that ministry. And at 93 years old, he started a nonprofit organization to use the power of the old school hymns and to bring the elders and to bring others who are interested in to be blessed by that incredible ministry. When the creator of the universe is our father, the end of the story is not the end of the story. And so today I have a message that God has put on my heart called Don't Stop Short. And there's lots of stories in the Bible that I could have preached on this morning and God has this funny thing with me where I just preached a story in the Bible, and then a couple weeks later, he wants me to preach it again. And I'm like, oh gosh, like, I just preached John 11. And as I was in study and in prayer this week, I kept hearing John 11 again. I was like, Father, I just preached this not too long ago. I'm a brand new preacher. I got so much I can offer. So many stories yet not preached in this pulpit yet. And he's like, John 11, John 11. So last time I spoke on John 11, it was in the series, the mini-series called Only Believe. And I shared from the perspective of Martha and Mary and how they battled with information versus believing and how we can be better at only believing and trusting God. Well, today I want to go back to chapter 11 of John, and we're going to look at it through the perspective of the disciples and see something that should have been the end of the story, but God had other plans. So if you have your Bible, go with me to John chapter 11. Oh, See, now that's how you know it was the Lord. The first page I opened up to was John 11. And I didn't even have my ribbon in the marker right there. That's how you know that, that the Lord is, is confirming. So John chapter 11 in the New American Standard, we're going to start in verse 38 this time. And we'll go to about verse uh, 45, verse 46. John chapter 11, verse 38. So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And I love, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept right here in John 11. But the fact that Jesus, all-knowing, all-powerful God, knew, hey, just wait a minute, I'll raise Lazarus from the dead. So if I had that type of knowledge to know that somebody was dead and I went to a funeral, by the way, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever went to. <laughs> but if, if I knew I was going to raise that person from the dead, I'd be happy. I'd be smiling like, hey, you guys are going to be blown away. Just watch this. But Jesus cried. Jesus wept. And that amazes me because even though he knew that the story wasn't the end of the story, he still had enough compassion for people that he wept with them because they were weeping. It's an incredible savior of compassion that we have. Verse 39, Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there will have been a stench for he'd been dead four days. So she was convinced that it was the end of the story. Verse 40, and Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, the great thing about going into problems in life is that nine times out of 10, when we are faced with a problem in life, we always have a promise before it. God loves to speak promises before we get led into a problem, meaning that we are fully equipped before we ever face the storm. And so even with Martha, where she's crying and her, her brother had passed away, Jesus said, I told you. Another, another way of saying that is that I gave you a promise to help you withstand what you are about to face and you weren't paying attention to it. 
In verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he, cried, and when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The end of the story is not the end of the story. And the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings on his face, wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. So Jesus proved that the end of the story doesn't have to be the end of the story. And many people who lived in doubt and didn't see Jesus as the Messiah turned their perspective around because of the miracle that they saw. And I'm telling you, we can debate, we can argue in Christianity, but when you usher in love, when you give a miracle in the, in the presence of the skeptics, it turns something completely around. Our job is not to argue and debate with people. Our job is to be a demonstration of the power and love of God in this world because that turns hearts so much more than arguing and winning a debate. I mean, it's like getting in an argument with your spouse and then you win the fight. You didn't win the fight. <laughs> you didn't win the fight. You know, it's like, yes, yes, I won. I won. I'm right. See, it proves it. The facts. And then your wife is going to be crying. So are you happy now? No. <laughs> I won it. I can't even be happy. No, 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 no. Our job is not to argue and debate. Our job is to be demonstrators of the love and the power of God. And he can use our good times and he can use our bad times. But what I love about this story is that the disciples, we don't see any place there where they were really doubting too hard. And the reason is that as they were on their way to go and, and minister to Lazarus, Jesus said to his disciples, this thing will not end in death. It will not end in death. So they had a promise before the problem. And I love that even though Jesus said this thing will not end in death, Lazarus still died. Has God ever given you a promise? And then you thought you saw that promise broken, only to see a little while later that he is still faithful and he's a faithful God. And that's what happened. Even if the facts are crying out that this promise is broken, it ain't over until Jesus says it's over. And he told them it will not end in death. And even though there was death, they continued to believe and they saw resurrection. They saw the promise come to fruition. And so today, it's on my heart really not to encourage you, even though I want to do that, it's more so to give us the tools that we need to have a heart that's going to believe that the, no matter the facts, Jesus said it, and you had me at you said it. You had me at when you spoke to my heart. You gave me a promise, and I will stand on that promise that, that my soul will be clinging to the promise of God no matter what happens before me. I got friends in Tyler, Texas. Uh, they've been there for years. They're worship leaders. And a couple years back, uh, she put out a quote on Instagram I mean, it radically transformed the way that I think. It transformed my perspective on so many things. And I actually took the time to go back to that message and, and reread it. And I typed it out to share it with us today because it's, it's really the thesis of what I'm trying to communicate here this morning. And in this quote, and I have no idea who it was from. <laughs> it says, information is a good thing because it informs us. And if we are wise, it will push us in the right direction. But I have come to the conclusion that revelation is a better thing because it transforms us, and check this out, causing us to do by default what we may have only done before by instruction. By default. I hope you caught that. That we want to get to a place where we're not just getting information and then trying to obey the best way that we can. 
There's something different when you don't even have to wait for the instruction because the autopilot of your heart is automatically to do what the faithful one says. That the autopilot, that even if you were to turn the steering wheel for a moment, the autopilot comes right back to, I trust, I believe, I obey, I know you got a plan, even though it looks crazy right now, God. So we got to get our hearts, not just our minds, not just our minds to, I agree, that makes sense, but then we fall apart. I love how Andrew Womack says it, you fall apart like a $2 suitcase when tragedy and trials come. We don't want to fall apart and, and just collapse under the weight of the trial. We want to have a heart that's been fortified in truth and knowing that God is faithful. And in reality, if we don't have the opportunity to watch God come through and show up and show out, we are missing and we're, we're stopping short of the opportunity of being able to declare that he is faithful. We can declare he is faithful because he has done it before and he's done it again and he'll do it again and he'll do it again. He's a good God. So a couple things in our notes here this morning that I want to encourage you on and use these as tools as we continue to fortify our heart. The first one is that we have a promise to stand on. Have a promise to stand on. An individual just for you, between you and God, your own promise from him to stand on, to guard, to hold, to jealously guard. Let me tell you this. Have you ever broken a, a commitment like going to Chuck E. Cheese with a child? Have you ever made plans to go to Chuck E. Cheese and all of a sudden plans change and it was the easiest thing you've ever encountered in life? No, it wasn't the easiest thing. It was the most dramatic thing you've ever encountered. If you told your kid, tomorrow we're going to Chuck E. Cheese, and then tomorrow comes and you say, something came up, we can't go today, they fall apart. They throw the tantrum. And what I love about little kids, and especially my son, he's been this way since day one, he don't give up. Well, why can't we go? Because we can't. I said we can't. That's the end of the story. But why? What could we do about it? Could we go later? Could we call somebody to help with this problem so we can still go? Like, here's this little three-year-old bringing solutions. Like, man, I got I to gotta hang out with Chuck E. Cheese. I got to go in that ball pit. Like, what can we do about this, Pops? Like, this doesn't have to be the end of the story. And if little kids can do that, how much more believers who have been given a promise from the mouth of the creator of the universe from heaven that says, don't you worry, don't you fear. I got a plan for you. And in fact, here is a prophetic promise I'm going to put in your hearts but will you guard it? Will you receive it? Will you write it down? I love in Romans 8. Romans 8 is like the gospel in itself. I mean, it's one of the most glorious chapters in all of the Bible. In that, the Apostle Paul and all that he's gone through, I mean, beaten to the point of near death, in prison, starved, all those type of things. And he has this beautiful part at the end of, of Romans 8 where he says, neither life nor death, no, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I love that so much. But you know how he starts that little phrase? He says, for I am convinced. And I challenge you to go through the Bible. Take a study this week and go through all the stories where you see them say at the very beginning, for I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced. That means that, that Paul and all that he went through and all that he endured was able to stand on a promise that God gave to him specifically. So when he got arrested and he's thrown into the inner dungeon and he doesn't know where his next meal is going to come from and all the other guards and all the other prisoners are complaining and, and not looking to Jesus, he could sing hymns and songs of praise in the midnight hour because he had a promise before he went into that problem. Do you intentionally pursue the promise of God for your life? Do you intentionally pursue the promises? 
Do you have a problem in life and just say, oh, I can't wait for this to be over? Or do you take that problem and you say, okay, God, this is no surprise to you. Here's a problem. What do you say about it? What are you declaring over them? What should I do for this unique individual? Have a, a promise for your family, a promise for your life, a promise for your ministry, but even a promise for your problems. There's one famous uh, TV preacher, and when he was up on stage one time, he says, you got to bring your problems to God and get an answer individually for yourself. He goes, where do you think I get all these sermons from? I get these sermons from, God, I don't understand this. This is a problem. What do you say on it? And then that becomes a, a promise to my heart, and I meditate on it, and I study it, and then I bring it to you guys. That he just goes to God and gets an answer, and, it, and eventually it becomes a, a promise and a, and a sermon. I had one, one preacher friend who was a big-time studier. He was a, a multiple doctorate degrees and was a professor at one time, and we were uh, pastoring at the same church at one point. And he told me, because he walked in with this gigantic Bible. Now, sometimes we have some thick Bibles in the church, right? Some of us have some really big Bibles. But he had a really thick Bible. I said, what is that? And he says, it's a parallel Bible. So you open it up, and there's two pages, but four columns. And in this one, he had the King James Version, the New American Standard, the NIV, and then the um, Amplified Bible. So four Bibles in one volume. And he said what he does is there's about 3,700 pages. So he divides that into 365, and it takes him about an hour a day, but he reads through that entire four-volume Bible in a year. So by the end of the year, he has read the Bible four times in four different translations. This guy was the best at Bible memorization. I mean, he had a keychain with three by five cards on his turn signal in his car. So whenever he was at a red light, instead of Facebook and Instagram, he would just go over the same scriptures that bless his heart year after year after year. I had a professor in my first year of Bible college. I probably told you the story, but he had the same favorite verses in a three by five card in his front pocket for 50 years. I said, brother, you should have had that memorized by now. And he goes, no, the key to memorization is review, review, review. The key to forgetting is to neglect, neglect, neglect. You see, you guys are the ones who are in charge of hiding the promise of God in your own heart, not God. He's faithful, like the rain that we keep hearing and the sun that rises every morning. He's faithful to provide and to protect and to do what God can only do, but he ain't going to force a promise in your heart. He's not going to make you stand upon a promise. That's something that we need to be diligent on ourselves. And so I challenge you to make promise-seeking a daily routine, a discipline in your life that ushers you closer to the presence of God. So have a promise to stand on. The next thing is that we need to focus on truth over facts. Truth over facts. Facts are one thing, scientific, yada, yada. Truth is supernatural. Had a friend that was pregnant and uh, little Gabrielito, and the doctors did some tests while she was still pregnant and said, we're so sorry to inform you, but your child is going to be born with Down syndrome. And she's like, oh, wow. And so she took a minute to compose herself. And she says, okay, you know, God is a big God and, you know, still going to be a wonderful baby. And then the doctor continued on and said, you know, it would be my recommendation uh, for the quality of life. You would probably think about abortion. And she says, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so they prayed and they believed. The facts were that this baby was going to be born with Down syndrome. But the truth was, God is a God of healing. And so that little baby, when he was born, was 100% normal, completely fine baby. And to this day, he's still in, in the correct percentile. I believe he's about six years old now, and just you would never even guess anything. But that's what the doctors declared, that that was facts. That was facts. The test proved 
We, we, here's the results. We could show you fact. This is, it's a reality. But the truth was, my God is a healer. So in life, when we go through things, they may be facts. Your rent may be late. Uh, you may have been laid off from a job. The doctor may give you a diagnosis. Those are facts. Th those are reality, but they're not truth if it's in contrary to the Bible and to the Word of God. And so we need to get into a place where we are more focused on truth than we are the facts. Because the facts were that Lazarus should have been dead and stayed dead. But the truth was that God had a resurrection in plan and was going to turn that thing completely around. So we can't stop short when we get bad news or the facts. We can't stop short when, when problems come because we have a promise to stand on. And we can't stop short when we get bad news in the facts or what the evening news says or, or what the projections may imply. No, no, no. We got to stand upon truth. God is in the business of doing this all the time. I love Jesus and his miracles that are constantly changing perspectives and showing that God is outside of time. God is outside of reality. God is the God of the impossible. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine. And boy, does that stir up the legalists and the religious folk. And like, why would Jesus, of all the things he could have done, in his first miracle, I mean, he could raise the dead, stop storms, but his first one was in a backyard wedding party. After they had already been drunk, he made more wine. But I love that because the end of the story said, and the fact said that we were out of wine and the good stuff that we saved up for for this party. And we were out of wine, and how disgraceful would that have been for the, the one who was running the party? Can you imagine if you ran out of food and nobody, not everybody got to eat, or you ran out of supplies and that was on you to prepare properly? You can imagine in that culture where he didn't have enough for this wedding feast, and they ran out. And I love Mary, mother of Jesus, and she looks at Jesus and says, well, Savior of the world, you can stop this disgrace. I think all moms think their, their kids are, you know, God's gift to the planet. But this really was God's gift to the planet. <laughs> she says, you could do something. And he says, no, I have not heard from the Father. My hour's not yet come. He said, woman, don't ever call your mom woman. But he said, woman, my hour has not yet come. <laughs> I really got a sandal to the back of my head if I said that. And then Mary looks over and says, hey, I know it looks bad. This is the facts. You ran out of wine. But whatever he tells you, whatever promise he tells you, just do it, okay? Whatever instructions. And I believe something prophetically happened here. We know that God is impressed by faith. Jesus says, wow, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. Go, it is as you say today. Jesus is impressed by faith. I believe God's hand moves when he sees risk and faith by his believers, by his children. And so here Jesus says, no, my hour has not come. Mary's like, but if he does, she had faith. God in heaven, the Father, said, okay, I see this faith. Now, Jesus, go ahead and make the wine. And I believe that Jesus, he said that, that I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't pray anything unless I, I, I hear the Father pray it. I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. Jesus was so connected to the Father, sentence by sentence, that he could say no to wine in one sentence. Mary goes out in faith and then says yes to wine in the next sentence. And then not only does Jesus make wine, he makes better wine. This ain't bottom shell, 7-Eleven, $2 wine, okay? He made wine so good that the people who were preparing it looked and they said, how in the world are you doing? You're supposed to get this stuff at the beginning. And yet you're giving the best of the best at the end because God doesn't make junk. God doesn't just recycle something. If you've been through hell, he's not just going to stop your suffering. He's going to give you double for your trouble. He's going to give you more than you anticipated. 
Job faithfully went through all that he went through, and God didn't just restore his family. He gave him double for everything. So God, when he brings an answer, is not just going to bring an answer to just soothe your pain. God is going to bring an answer that satisfies your soul. He's going to give you an answer of something that you didn't even expect. And all we got to do is declare his faithfulness. All we got to do is stand on the promise. All we got to do is believe the truth over the facts, and we can see God do some incredible things. Stand on the promise, truth over facts. And this final thing here is that we need to worship opposite of our feelings. Worship opposite of our feelings. Emotions are mindsets that we create. And we can be emotional. That's perfectly fine. Our God is an emotional God. If Jesus could weep, that means he's an emotional being. If, if the one in Psalm 2-4, the one who is enthroned in heaven laughs, okay, God is an emotional God. There's nothing wrong with emotions when we are leading them and emotions aren't leading us. Perfectly fine. Emotions are a state of mind, but feelings are reactionary. Feelings are reactionary. And our feelings can really make us stop short. When we're having a bad day, when we've been offended, or when something we expected to work properly stopped working properly, our feelings, our knee-jerk reactions can really be a culprit in making us stop short. And we have to worship opposite our feelings. We got to be in a place where even though all chaos is around us, we can be in a position to worship him freely regardless of our feelings. I remember seeing this video years ago. So cute. I love, I love those videos where like the mom or the dad are instilling something in the child and then there's like a breakthrough that happens in the middle of it. And one of these stories, there was a, a, a father and a really young son and they were doing boxing drills. And so the, the drill was you're supposed to step back with your, with your right foot and then bring it in. And for some reason, this kid just couldn't get the combo. He was stepping back with the wrong foot. And he was getting frustrated and frustrated. He was doing these, these moves over and over again. Finally, tears started falling from the, the side of his face. And the dad stops him and says, what's going on? He's like, I just can't get it. I keep messing it up. I keep messing it up. I keep messing it up. And he says, remember, son, we had this conversation a couple days ago that Einstein himself said, it's not that I'm the smartest man in the world. It's that I stick with the problem longer than everybody else. And he encouraged them. What does the Bible say? That he's given us a spirit of power and a sound mind and not one of fear. And so he just pumped just hope and encouragement into this little boy, and he finally got it right. But see, the father didn't yell at him, wasn't discouraged. He, he wasn't um, displeased with the son because it's a simple thing, and he should just get it right. Instead, he used that as an opportunity to say, you're emotionally feeling something right now. Your feelings are one of sadness because you can't get it right. And he taught his son in that moment how to turn his emotions around and still be able to accomplish what he set to accomplish. And we need to do the same thing. There's one, one preacher who said, if I'm discouraged, I will go to the scriptures. More times than not, it'll be the Psalms. And I will open up the scriptures and I will read and I will read and I will stay there. And this is the phrase he used, until he warms my heart. That's what I love so much about worship. You can be in the most devastating place in life, but how easy is it to stop and just to recognize God and say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I feel so dead inside, so numb inside, but I worship you. And family, if there's anything you can do in life and get right, if you can fail at a thousand things but get one thing right, is to worship God right in the middle of your storm. 
to worship him and to turn your heart's affection away from the problem and back onto him and worship opposite your feelings, and then you can see him do something incredible. But we cannot stop short. We cannot stop short. God has so much for you. My 93-year-old friend said God still has something for me. God has a big plan for your lives. But are you wishing just to skirt through life? The easiest, the most minimum. Has God put a dream on your heart that you have been neglecting because you don't want to pay the funds, you don't want to make the investment, you don't want the extra energy, you don't have the time for it? Have you been avoiding something and stopping short even though God clearly has told it to you because of fear of the effort put forth? I want to encourage you today, don't stop short. It breaks my heart when I see that happen. I had a friend. He went to Bible college with me. We started at the same time. We were supposed to finish at the same time. And I remember I left that school and finished off at Life Pacific University, the Foursquare University. And uh, one time I called my old professor because he just moved to the Dallas area and we were catching up and just talking about, you know, the first year he was one of my professors. And, and then I said, well, what about so-and-so? Uh, you know, he should have been graduated this year. And he goes, no. I said, well, what happened? I said that he, you know, moved, transferred. He's like, no, he had two classes left and he quit. Two classes left. And he quit. I'm like, why? Uh, and like, you can just skirt through it, get a C minus, but man, finish. And no, for whatever reason, he just took an easy paying job. He'd never finished this, those two courses. And you think that's the dumbest, weirdest, most odd thing in the world. Why would anybody spend that much money four years to get a degree only to stop two classes short? But hey, how many believers have had a, a dream in their heart? Have God clearly told them? And they made all the investments. They've been believers for decades. They put so much into the ministry only to give up right when it counts most. <laughs> Y'all know that story where that, that poor lady was trying to be the first to swim from the coast of San Diego to uh, Catalina Island. And she swam in shark-infested water. She had people guarding her. She swam next to a boat. Hours upon hours upon hours. The fog came in and she was so tired, couldn't finally see the coast, and she gave up. And when they pulled her on the boat, she was only a mile away from the coast of Catalina. Don't stop short. And I want to encourage you, it's not just about the feeling of accomplishment. It's about these things here, a promise that God gives to us. Standing on truth so that we declare his faithfulness. And knowing that we can worship him no matter what is going on in our world. So let me pray into this, family. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness. And I thank you for your faithfulness, God. And I thank you that you have big plans for us. It's not just Southgate Fellowship. It's not just Pastor Rudy. Every single person who calls this place home, God, you, ha or you have a unique gifting and calling upon their lives. You want them to do some great things, whether that's in their home, in their neighborhood, at their workplace, at their school, right here in the city, God. You have great things for them. But we know that there's an enemy who's been defeated, and he's bitter, and he's angry. And he tries in every way, shape, and form to influence us, to bring doubt in our hearts. And so right now, Father, I declare just the guarding of every heart and mind in this room against the lies and the attacks of the enemy. Father, thank you that multiple people have declared in this house that you are faithful and great is your faithfulness. And I pray and I impart God's supernatural faith in this room. And I pray this week, whether we go through the scriptures and see every time the Apostle Paul says, I'm convinced, or we find a, a new way to dig into the scriptures to hide truth in our heart, 
or we go into a place of fasting or intercession to build our hearts back up, to keep our eyes on the faithful one, however it needs to happen this week, God, that you would bring sweet moments in your presence, that you would bring encounters from heaven like never before. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, anybody who has a hurting heart, Father, may you soothe that heart from heaven, but may you go beyond their wildest expectations. I pray for those who have been betrayed in this room, God, that you would bring a release of that offense. I pray right now for those who lost a job or are dealing with financial issues, God, it's not the end of the story. So in the name of Jesus, may your prosperity invade their home and in their lives. Bring them creative things that they need to do. Bring those surprise checks in the mail to every hurting body in this room that needs a touch from heaven. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you are a healer. But Father, we are not crying out to you to say, help us because we're in pain and we don't want to be in pain anymore. God, we are saying thank you that you hear us, that you will answer our pain, but you are going beyond that. So we love you, God, and we thank you for this time. Be with us as we continue in our next season here and the meeting we're about to have. Bless our week. God is home. We know there's been <laughs> crazy raining, so guard us as we're on the, on the roads on our way home today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.